this thing going? What this eschatology, this last things, this future that we're looking forward to? I believe that Jesus is kind of rerouting the path that they're going on. And if he's doing it for them, guess what? He would be doing that for us as well. So this is the passage. Please follow along as I read it. Coming down from the mountain. That would be the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus swore them to secrecy. Don't tell a soul what you saw. After the Son of Man rises from the dead, you're free to talk. And they puzzled over that. Wondering what on earth rising from the dead meant. Meanwhile, they were asking, why do the religion scholars say the Elijah has to come first? And Jesus replied, Elijah does come first and get everything ready for the coming of the Son of Man. They treated this Elijah like dirt, much like they will treat the Son of Man, who will, according to the Scripture, suffer terribly and be kicked around contemptibly. Now, I don't know about you, but I sometimes really like to slow down when I'm reading the Bible. And I like to say, you know, there's something going on here that I need to explore. There's something going on between the lines. So what caught my mind? They're coming down the mount and the disciples are sworn to secrecy. That just caught my ear. You've seen something, you've heard something, I don't want you to tell a soul about it. And then the second thing is the disciples wondered what on earth rising from the dead meant. What's he talking about? This isn't the first time he's talked about rising from the dead. What does that mean? They don't understand what he's talking about. And then the third thing is the disciples asked, why do the religion scholars say that Elijah has to come first. So those are the things that's trying to jump out of the old paragraph for me. And really two of those things, I knew enough that they're really talking about end times. Because Elijah and resurrection, I mean, resurrection as they would know it was something in the future. So they're really saying, okay, you were just transformed in front of us. We saw the glory of what you'll be like in the future. I mean, they, they get that. We're, we're, man, we're getting a glimpse of what's coming. And they've got some questions. So it just really raises, again, this question about, well, what, what did they learn at the synagogue? What was being taught? What was Jewish eschatology? Can we get back into what was in their head when Jesus is trying to teach them? So I went to the Jewish Encyclopedia and just, you can go there, you can do some reading if that's of interest to you. And I just want to read you a few things. The doctrine of the last things, Jewish eschatology, deals primarily and principally with the final destiny of the Jewish nation. And the world in general, and only secondarily with the future of the individual. The main concern of Hebrew legislator, prophet, an apocalyptic writer being Israel as the people of God and the victory of his truth and justice on earth. The eschatological view, that is, the expectation of the greater things to come in the future underlies the whole construction of the history of both Israel and mankind in the Bible. 
So there's two things in that that I'd like you to hold on to. Because I think it begins to set this trajectory, this roadmap, how the disciples were thinking about what's coming next. The first is expectation of greater things to come in the future. Both Judaism and then what we know as what follows Judaism, Christianity, both have this as a foundational stone. Expectation of greater things to come in the future. The second thing within Judaism is that expectation of future things to come primarily concerns Jewish national greater things and secondarily individual greater things. Got that? So they're that, that's where they are. And they take off from there. What's up with Elijah? I know it's been a long time since we've been in Mark. So I'm not expecting you to think about this. But this is the third time in two chapters that Elijah's been mentioned. Back in chapter 8, Jesus asked, who do the people say I am? Some say John the Baptist. By the way, John the Baptist has already died. So they're thinking, oh... Did John the Baptist come back to life? Others say, Elijah, Elijah. Elijah." And then others still, one of the prophets. Who do you say that I am? Then on the Mount of Transfiguration, who shows up with Moses? Elijah. I mean, if you ever wanted proof that Jesus is not Elijah, there it is. They were together on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus is not Elijah. And then... The disciples have this question. Why do the religion scholars say that Elijah has to come first? Again, what's this trajectory that we're on here? We know there's a promise of greater things to come in the future. We've been taught it's about the nation of Israel. And it does have impact on the globe. But what about Elijah? Well, again, according to the Jewish encyclopedia... Elijah has been glorified in Jewish legend. Don't get hung up on the word legend. It's midrash. It's what, it's what the rabbis wrote about Elijah. More than any other biblical personage. The Haggadah. A Haggadah is the script for the Seder meal. It makes the prophet Elijah the hero of its description. As in the case of others, to describe merely his earthly life and to elaborate in his own way, but has created a new history of Elijah. Which beginning with his death or translation, ends only with the close of the history of the human race. So that made sense. Okay, Elijah didn't die. He went into heaven and then it has impact on the end. Keeps going. It was the future destiny of the nation which concerned the prophets and the people and the hope voiced by prophet, psalmist, and liturgical poet, which simply that the Lord as the only one will establish his kingdom over the whole earth. This implied not only the reunion of the 12 tribes, but the conversion of the heathen surviving the divine day of wrath, as well as the downfall of the heathen powers. It seems that because of the tribulation which the house of Zerubbabel had to undergo, 
That's at the, the time of the exile in, in Jewish history. Because of that tribulation going into exile, the expectation of a Messiah from the house of David was kept in the background in Judaism. And the prophet Elijah, as the forerunner, not of Messiah, but the forerunner of the great day of the Lord, which would reassemble all the tribes of Israel, was placed in the foreground. So these disciples of Jesus in the day that they're asking these questions are saying, we've heard more about Elijah at the synagogue than we have about Messiah. And now we're, we're really curious about that. Because we said, you're Messiah, and we've seen Elijah, now so we're a little confused. Again, so the trajectory, expectation of greater things to come in the future, primarily national promises, and then Elijah's the forerunner of the great day of the Lord. So then that leads you to, well, what's that? What's the great day of the Lord? The day of the Lord. Again, Jewish encyclopedia. See, you can, you can Google all kinds of stuff. Isn't it amazing? The term was employed by the prophets in an eschatological sense and invested with a double character. On the one hand, as the time of the manifestation of God's punitive powers of justice directed against all that provokes his wrath. On the other hand, as the time of the vindication and salvation of the righteous. In the, in the popular mind, again, that, the popular mind would be the disciples of Jesus. What they were prod up, what they were taught. The popular mind, the day of the Lord, brought disaster only to the enemies of Israel. The day of the Lord will be a day of judgment against these Roman oppressors. And to his people, it'll be victory. In the same measure, however, as Israel suffered defeat at the hand of the great world powers, as particular Rome, the day of the Lord in the prophetic conception becomes a day of wrath for the heathen world and triumph for Israel. So God, you're going to bring your wrath against our enemies and that's going to vindicate us. I mean, they're not thinking about maybe we need that judgment too. It'll be enough if you just judge our enemies. So again, in the mind of these Jewish guys following Jesus, there's this trajectory that they've been brought up with. And they're beginning to question. And the particular with Elijah is, Elijah is the forerunner of a great day of the Lord. That's at the forerun, Messiah in the background. And that, that day of the Lord, it's going to be a day of wrath. Our enemies are going to get what's coming to them especially world powers like Rome, which vindicates Israel. Then finally, within the scheme is resurrection. But why did, I mean, why did they scratch it? What's he, what's, he talk, what's he talking about, resurrection? Again, Jewish encyclopedia. In addition to the conception of the day of the Lord, the prophets developed the hope of an ideal messianic future through the reign of a son of the house of David. That son of the house of David is not divine, human, not, not, not God-man. That's not anywhere in, in Jewish 
thinking. There's a golden age. It would come in the form of a world of perfect peace and harmony among all creatures, the angelic state of man before his sin, new heaven, new earth. It was only a step further to predict the visitation of all the kings of the earth to be followed by the swallowing up of death forever and a resurrection of the dead in Israel. So that all the people of the Lord might witness the glorious salvation, the hope of resurrection has been expressed by Ezekiel only with reference to the Jewish nation as such. Resurrection... Just like eschatology is a hope of last things for the Jewish nation, resurrection is for, the, is for the nation of Israel. It's a national resurrection. So can you begin to see this trajectory that the disciples were on? And can you understand, what, well, gosh, maybe, what, what's, what's Jesus talking about? So as Jesus reroutes them, this is the things, this is what you want to underscore. What Jesus has in common with the rabbis that taught in his day, there is, there is this expectation of a greater thing to come in the future. But Jesus says it's not just for Israel. It's not just for a nation. It's primarily for individuals, and it will have a global impact. And that Messiah is meant to be at the foreground, and Elijah is the one that announces Messiah's coming. And then this, he begins to really spin things on their head, because the day of the Lord is a day of salvation, not judgment. And it's, a, it's not just salvation for the, for the Jew. It's also salvation for the Gentile. It's also salvation for, oh my goodness, gracious sakes alive. These Romans. God's going to save Romans. What? And then. Resurrection. What Jesus is. He's talking about a personal bodily resurrection. After a brutal rejection and death. By the religious. And political powers of his day. I mean Jesus is turning. The prospect of future things on their head. And the thing that like, like is like maybe even incredible is Jesus is saying, you guys want this judgment to fall upon all of your enemies. Guess what? The day of judgment is going to fall on me. What? God's judgment day is the cross. What? And then the resurrection is going to happen. Because God's going to accept what I'm doing for all of humanity on that cross. Man, no wonder their brain is spinning. Is your brain spinning? You know, just look up Google Map. It'll reroute you. Shake to send feedback. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. Now, just again... Just, just maybe just to underscore, maybe, maybe just to overdo it a little bit. There, there was this promise. I mean, the disciples, are, well, gosh, the rabbi, they've been reading out of Malachi ever since we've been going to, to synagogue. And yeah, it says, remember, in Malachi, end of the Old Testament, end of the Old Covenant. Remember, keep the revelation I gave 
through my servant Moses, the revelation I commanded at Horeb. For all of Israel, all the rules and procedures for right living. Don't forget your past. You don't, yeah, we, you've got a past. God made things known. God wants you to live right. God wants to bless you. Follow that. But at the same time, also look ahead. I'm sending Elijah the prophet to clear the way for the big day of God, the decisive judgment day. He will convince parents to look after their children and children to look after their parents. If they refuse, I'll come and I'll put the land under a curse. That's not good news. But then notice, Jesus says, I, I'm going to fulfill the old. I'm not, I'm not destroying the old, I'm fulfilling the old. Look how particular, what? What did you expect when you went out to see John the Baptist in the wild? A weekend camper like the Brucus family? <laughs> Hardly. What then? A chic in silk pajamas? Not in the wilderness. Not a long shot. What then? A prophet? That's right, a prophet. Probably the best prophet you'll ever hear. He is the prophet that Malachi announced when he wrote, I'm sending my prophet ahead of you to make the road straight for you. On down in the same chapter, Matthew 11, for a long time now, people have tried to force themselves into God's kingdom. But if you read the books of the prophets and God's law closely, you will see them culminate in John the Baptist. Teaming up with him and preparing the way of the Messiah of the kingdom. Looked at in this way. Notice, John is the Elijah. You've all been expecting to arrive and introduce the Messiah. I don't know how Jesus could make it any more plain than that. So as a community of people, just how do, you know, how do we all roll that all up? And well, what do we do with all of that? I have a few suggestions. I want us to become a community who is following Jesus, who Jesus can swear to secrecy. Who Jesus can swear to secrecy. When Jesus says that to those three disciples, hey, I don't want you to tell anybody what you just saw. I mean, he knows people are not going to get it. You don't get it. (laughs) There's some time that needs to take place before you get what's just what you've seen. And also, you're going to have to see the resurrection. So really what Jesus is inviting disciples to do is I want you to receive... New information, you could call that revelation, and I want it to percolate, and I want you to keep it secret. I want there to be an intimacy in our relationship. Wow! I want to know you. All I want is to know you. I want to hear your whispers. I want you to reveal secrets to me, and I want to to kind of hold those tight. I don't want to just go out and broadcast those and tell everybody... I've admired Susan through the years. You know, Susan keeps this private journal. There are things within that she doesn't share with me because she has a secret life with Jesus. 
She's probably never going to put those things in a book. She's not going to go preach those on the street corners. That, that's the kind of community I want us to be. We're a community that Jesus can say, I'm, I want to swear you to secrecy. I don't want you to tell anybody this yet. I want you to wait for me to tell you. That's a community following Jesus. I also would like us to be a community who wonders, what on earth is Jesus talking about? Even with what may seem to be the obvious. I would guess that most of us reading Mark without any kind of explanation, that that just would have gone right over our head. That these, these three disciples, and really all the disciples, they did not get it when he talked about rising from the dead. They'd not been taught about that. Folks, there's all kinds of people all around us that are not going to get that either. We might not even get that. So some of the most simplistic things about our faith that we take for granted, we got to be able to create this environment where people are going to ask any kind of question whenever they ask that kind of question and never feel stupid for asking it. That's, that's, a, that's a community that learns from Jesus. We can scratch our head. We can wonder, what in the world is he talking about? And one of the things I know within our teaching team, we have a team of teachers that are going to stand before you, and if they don't get it, they're going to tell you, I don't get it. Best I know, maybe this is, maybe I don't know. That's, good. That's a good place to be. Third, let's become a community following Jesus who asks Jesus, ask Jesus questions about what the religious scholars and traditions say. Now, there's a balancing act there. And I think Malachi, yeah, we've got a history. We want to honor part of that history. There's a foundation there. There's tradition there. That's good. But we can also ask questions of that, especially when those traditions or what scholars are saying clash with what Jesus is teaching. There's a place for scholarship, but not to become totally reliant upon it. Jesus, what are, we to th- what are we to think about what these scholars are teaching us? That's, that's a cool community. Then finally, and maybe even more important, and it's really where our, our, kind of our worship took us today. Let's become a community following Jesus who expects greater things to come in the future because of what Jesus has inaugurated. Let's become a community who expects greater things to come in the future because of what Jesus has inaugurated. I don't know about you, but that's a challenge. (laughs) It's tough to listen to the news or read the newspaper or follow, follow the news feed and not have this, this feeling of, oh my goodness gracious, doom and gloom on the future. But is that the worldview Jesus wants us to have? Now, it's, he's not saying that there's not going to be ups and downs and all arounds. He's not saying there's not going to be challenges. 
But, but bedrock for all of us is to become this community who knows that we know that we know there are greater things to come in the future because Jesus has inaugurated God's kingdom on the earth. It will not be stopped. It will increase until it comes in its fullness. There's going to be a struggle. It's going to happen. We're going to be in it. But ultimately, we're, we, we are a people who hope for Jesus to complete everything that he's promised sometime in the future. And I believe that he's going to that he's going to give us enough tastes of the powers of the age to come to keep us going. We won't get the full meal until the end, but there's enough to keep us going. That's why the idea of overcoming is an important concept in following Jesus. And looking toward the future. And that's really, that's kind of where I want to pause and say, you know, that's where my concern is for our community. I think that we're being bombarded right now with a message of look back. Things were better back then. Things have never been better back then. (laughs) In the economy of Jesus, things are already better. It's always a forward thinking. We are not a people with a backward thinking. Yes, there's a, again, there's a tradition, there's things to hold on to, things to learn, things to pass. But we are not to turn and look backward. We're to be a people who look forward. So I, I really think that's a challenge for us. And I also believe that it's really hard for us to hold on to hope, to have expectation that things could be better. In a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of different ways. And I don't know where your mind goes when just, you know, what do you want to be better on this planet? But our minds can go in a lot of different ways. And we might think, but I don't, I don't know if we'll ever get there. So I want to invite you just to stand with me. Let's have a time of just inviting the Holy Spirit to allow us to be honest with what's rumbling around inside of us. Okay? Would you stand? And we want to become a community following Jesus that has an expectation that greater things are coming based upon what Jesus has inaugurated. It's not better things are coming because we're going to work harder or get things right or da 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 It's based upon what Jesus inaugurated. That's the foundation. And, and I think it's, this is a way that we can help each other. So some of us this morning have a measure of hope. I'm, I'm holding on to, maybe not perfectly, but I'm, I'm holding on to that what Jesus inaugurated, it's going to happen. Maybe it's not happening as fast as I'd like, but I know that I know that I know that there's a future that's a good future because of what Jesus started. 
If you have, if you have any sense of that, would you just kind of raise your hand? Okay. All right. Now, don't forget you raised your hand. Okay. Others of us don't have that. Others of us have lost hope. Others of us don't have expectation that things are going to get any better. Now, I know this has been like, I mean, you're having to expose your soul a little bit, but I, this is a pretty safe place. So if that's you, if you just, you've lost hope, could you just raise your hand? Okay. We have one hand. See, what I want to do is I want to get those of you that have a little bit of hope with those that don't have much hope and to give away what you got. Because that's the only way we can get more. Give away what you got. So let me ask it another way. Would anybody benefit from others gathering around you and praying that whatever little installment of hope they have could come to you? Would anybody benefit from that? We got one. We got two. All right. So we've got Aaron back here. Remind me of your name. Laura. Okay. Laura right here. Anybody in? We've got one section, two. Anybody in this section? Okay. Just thought I'd go. All right. So would people kind of gather around these two? And uh, let's pray for a moment.